Welcome to Infinitely Rational, where we discuss the real eccentric and complex history of mathematics. Brought to you by Mathematical Expressions. I'm your host, Natalie, the resident math nerd. And I'm Kay, your researcher of weird things. In this episode, we'll answer the following questions. What is is? That's right, folks. For this episode, the final episode of Euclid, we only have one question. So now that we know a little more about geometry and the elements, let's talk about what makes these definitions so special. So we're going to talk about the meaning of is. What is is. What is is, yeah. <laughs> so definitions, very important to Euclid. Very important that he defined what he was talking about in geometry. And, you know, think about how common it is for people to use words without really knowing what they mean. Oh, okay, good. Pop quiz. Yeah. Ready? Uh, Take sure. out a sheet of paper and a pencil. Uh-oh. How do you define equilateral triangle, isosceles right. triangle, and scalene triangle? Okay. Go. So an equilateral triangle mm-hmm. is one with three equal sides, right? Look at you. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I, I couldn't tell you what the other one is. <laughs> <laughs> an isosceles has two yeah. right, two equal sides. By the way, the equilateral triangle has three equal sides and, and angles. angles. right. Isosceles yeah. has two equal sides and angles. What do you think the scalene has? Three different sides? Yes! <laughs> I thought you were going to say <laughs> one equal Powers side. Powers of deduction, right? I know, I, I really Three was, equal sides, two, two equal, equal sides, sides, no equal sides. I was sides. really hoping you were going to say one equal side, and I was going to be like, I mean, sure, what's that I mean? almost did say one equal side. <laughs> Man, I was right? so close. Each side is equal to itself. Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so but it's not it's not just those mathematical terms that Euclid wants to define. So let's so let's get more basic, right? So the again, drawing tools in Word. Let's draw, do those. The drawing tools in Word, right? Point, line, circle. So let's take line. Mm-hmm. How if someone told you? I mean, we that's a word we use all the time, right? Right. Right. I walk the line, right? Johnny Cash sings about there it. There you go, right? <laughs> if someone asked you to, about it. how do you define that word? How do you define a word like line? As a mathematician, I can tell you what the current mathematical definition is, but I don't want to because, you know, in my opinion, I think it'd be more interesting to find out what the layperson would say. Well, so let's talk for a quick second here about like, because we're talking about the meaning of is, right? What is is? What are you doing when you define something? You're saying like, this is what makes it what it is, right? You're telling like what... What is its essence? Mm-hmm. What, what's the essence of a line? I have no idea. Right? Yeah. What does Euclid say? Euclid says a line is a breadthless length. And you and I have talked about this a lot because breadth is like width. Wait, is it breathless or breadless or breadthless? Breadthless. Right, so bread, B-R-E-A-D-T-H. This is the yeah. problem, and it's, it's terrible because I took a voice and diction class having a theater background, so you would think I would be better, but instead I mumble some of my words, and then I, people are like, what did she say? Probably. Mm. <laughs> so breadthless. Right. Yeah, that's a hard word to, to mm-hmm. get out there. Right, so like, what, what is that? that that's... Very abstract, kind of weird, right? right? Euclid also does a thing where, like, he'll 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 uh, use the word to define. Uh, or, uh, what am I trying to say here? He's uh, he uses the word he's trying to define when he's um, defining something. Okay, right? so this so is like a straight line is a line which lies evenly within the points on itself. Right. Say. So this right. is called uh, 
which I like saying this, so I'm going to say it, logical circularity. That's right. But essentially, I'm going to loosen it up a little bit. So it's like a rocket management system is defined as a system for managing rockets. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and, right. Which is which is true, but uninformative. Right. right exactly. And so, but, uh, you know, you're talking about these definitions. And I know you and I have had a ton of definitions about the line in particular. And we, like, really could go down a rabbit hole with that. But again, though, I, I know I said earlier, I want to know how real people define it. Mm. Let's find All out. Right, yeah, let's find out. How do real people define these things? How, I'm dying to hear this, actually. Define a line. Um, I think of, like, standing at Starbucks and standing in a line. Anything at an amusement park that's way too long. <laughs> what is a line? A line is something you line up. What is a line? A line is a straight, I don't know, linear line. I don't know what a line is. <laughs> like a segment between two points. There you go. Oh man, it's... I don't know, it's a... It's a... I, I can't even think of what a line is. Line? What's a line? Like, um, you line up in line before you go somewhere. So if you think about definitions, you know, and, and just think about what it means to be undefined mm -hmm. and undefined terms, you know, there's actually, uh, you were talking about the axioms. And, and if, if we don't define things, then you could just replace words and, and end up with nonsense. For example... <laughs> Given any two men, a woman can be drawn with those men as its endpoints. Whereas when we're talking about what? a lie, like that doesn't even make any sense, you know? Right. Like, what even is this garbage? Yeah. <laughs> you want to hear a funny philosophy story about yes. definition, right? So Socrates was big on definitions. Like, all of Plato's dialogues are like, like define courage, define piety, define all these, you know... Abstract concepts, yeah, yeah. all these like concepts, especially like ethical concepts. But um, but defining is hard because like you know you try to come up with this perfect thing, and it's it's always easy to come up with a counterexample. So there's this famous story that uh, Plato was once giving a some some public lecture, and he defines human being. Mm -hmm. You know how he defines human being? How does he define a human being? Featherless biped. Okay, I mean, I guess that's true. <laughs> no right? feathers, walk on two feet. Sure. Right. So there's this gadfly uh -huh. named. Uh, oh my god. Gadfly, yeah. first of all, I'm deceased. <laughs> Gadfly. <laughs> right. So so there were a lot of guys. You know, talk about famous names, yeah. top 10 boys' names. Diogenes. Everybody oh my, was named Diogenes, right? right? Yeah. So this one, this one Gadfly, Diogenes of Sinope. And that's even a name that has, Diogenes, not mm. of Sinope, uh, has even yeah. lasts today. Really? Yeah. I don't know anyone named Diogenes today. Well... I guess, okay, so in fairness, I read it in a book about this old guy, so maybe, maybe I'm reaching. I mean, look, I would name my kid Diogenes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's fun to say, Diogenes, it's fetch a, me Sudaria. The, the Greek names are the best. Right? So anyway, Diogenes is, uh, is listening to this. The gadfly, he's, right? Yeah, he's listening to Plato define human being as featherless biped, he's like, I'll show this guy. So he takes, <laughs> he finds a chicken. Oh, God. <laughs> he finds, finds it, this poor chicken. He finds a chicken and he plucks it of all its feathers. And he throws it into the lecture hall and he says, 
There's your platonic human right human. there. Human. <laughs> featherless biped, not a human. He's not wrong. Yeah, that's you right. Know, I appreciate it's the with king every, of counter examples right there. With every single story that you have told, you're it's always somebody trying to prove a point. You know, you yes. talk about Thales. He's like, I'm gonna show you peeps. Yep. Buy up all my olive presses. What's up, fam? Yep. Philosophers are fun, man. Right? They're mean, but they're fun. <laughs> they're like they're they're just the kings, philosopher kings, as it were, yeah. of roasting. Yeah. Oh, the, totally. The, yeah. Hilarious, hilarious. Yeah. They're very sensitive though. <laughs> What's a circle? It falls in its circle, I, I don't know. <laughs> Around like a pie. Three hundred and sixty degrees. Alright. So we need some definitions here. How about line? A connection between two points. Okay, that sounds pretty good. A straight line. Yeah, straight. A, a line is a straight line? <laughs> Do you want to change that? Yes, he already took mine. All right, let's go to somebody else. A connection between two points. Okay, how about circle? A round, hmm. I don't know how to define circle. A round graphic. Nice, I like that. A round connection between the same point. That sounds like the Oxford entry. Okay. Thanks. Point. We're going to define point now. An area identified in space that could be infinitely small. Nice. Thanks, Uh, Stephen. Destination. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Location. Okay, thanks, guys. Sure. Thank you. Wow. When we did Fermat, I talked about how proofs and math is built on an unshakable foundation using these proofs. Mm -hmm. And if you think about elements, like you said, this is really where we first saw the startings of proofs developing from the axioms, building on it. And and remember the Babylonians and the Egyptians, they really didn't do this. Like they would write... A paragraph on how to cube something instead of a procedure or something like that. Right, because they didn't really care that this like equation or the theory behind this equation mm-hmm. was true in all cases. They just, just needed in it, this case they, they, for they, they, exactly. Yeah, they just needed, needed it to, to be true for what they dude. were doing. Right. right. They needed it to be true for what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Right. It was just a means to an end. But yeah, Euclid's trying to show no. This is true all the time. These are universal truths, man. That math is built into the fabric Which, of the universe. Sidebar, yeah. like. TurboTax, it would be so nice if TurboTax could be like, if you make this amount of money, like I'm going to write you just a paragraph on how we're going to charge you this tax, as opposed <laughs> to you just have to kind of trust the algorithm in it. Right, right. I, like, I'm a guess how much I think I should pay or be re- or receive for taxes. Well, you trust the algorithms, right? Uh, <laughs> I just, I've seen too many programming fails that oh, I'm just okay. like, what if one, if one line is wrong and like, True. So they garbage get in, it wrong, garbage but, out is right, a thing. Right. But the math behind the algorithms when it's correct. Right? Well, correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you've done everything right, that's why I always pe- yeah. preface stuff to my students. I'm like, if you've done everything right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I find the proof stuff with the axioms, I, I, I find that to be really fascinating, right? Because the, the, um, you know, the, everything really rests on those axioms, right? Mm-hmm. Cause the proof gives you a reason to believe that, the, that something's always true, but it rests on these axioms, which you can't prove, you can't prove. The axioms. That's true. They're just supposed to be self-evident. Matt. What does that mean? You know? I like guess, how, okay, so, yeah. so when we were researching Fermat, we stumbled upon this thing called Pascal's Wager, which is... Oh, this is out of left field. Okay, I like it. Always, yeah. always. 
Um, which is basically, I think, uh, the same thing as, as proof that God exists, because he says that non-believers are said to go to hell, but believers are able to go to heaven. That's right. Oh, we're getting into some heavy-duty stuff Let's here. Let's do it. You want to do some heavy, like your, ha- hardcore, your, your hardcore philosophy of religion? Your job is the class of the joint. Oh, man. We're okay. here. We've made it. Yeah, I actually don't really consider Pascal's wager a proof in the same way. He's just kind of trying to scare you to believe in God. Mm. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't say that. I don't know. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, no. What you said is true. Like, he says, um, look, if you believe in God, you're going to go to heaven. Uh-huh. If you don't, you're going to go to hell. Yeah, yeah. Why take the risk of not believing? You know, yeah, maybe there won't be a God. You know, and right? it's, it's funny that you say that about but Pascal. You're not going to be any, any better off than someone who does believe. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. So, it, more sense to believe. But it's right, true what you right. said about Pascal because he kind of went through this, this whole thing where, <laughs> where he was like, I'm so religious. And so, he probably would have. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was trying to like, and then, you know, actually that raises another interesting question, right? Can, can you just make yourself can you really just make yourself believe something? But like, l- let's say it's something you, you think is false. Uh-huh. Can you make yourself believe it just because it would benefit you? So yesterday, you and I both were in this session that uh, we brought in a mathematician to our college from a local university, and yeah. he talked about binocular rivalry. Yes. And one of the things that he said... By the way, you, you, the math folks seemed like they were totally fixated on what was happening there, like they knew what was going on, and I was just there like, What's happening? They gave us 3D glasses. That's what you were most excited about. You were like, I can see it. But essentially, binocular rivalry, guys, is just where you have two images and uh, you show one to one eye, one to the other eye, and uh, essentially separately. And the the images will alternate. And what this, this person was telling us, he was a mathematician and showing us the math behind it, which was awesome for me. I guess not for everybody, though. Harumph. But uh, what he was saying was that you can't will yourself to want to see one or the other and like increase the instances of you seeing it. Ah, that's right. Yeah, similar kind of point. Yeah, yeah. so I think it's interesting that yeah. you're asking, can you will yourself to believe Yeah. when you can't will yourself? Like, I want to see the shoe. I don't want to see the house or whatever yeah. it was, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a similar kind of principle there, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, I guess as far as Pascal's wager goes, it sounds like the church is going to have to wait a little longer for their mathematical proof. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, some people think you can you can prove the existence of God in something like a mathematical, deductive, logic have, kind of fashion. See, yeah. I don't have that kind of higher level math to, you know. Oh, you do. Come on. You have higher level math. I said yeah. I had higher level, not that higher level math. You can do like like 20,000 deductions in your head. Like, like that whole it thing about it. It can easily be seen. Like, it is easily seen for you. I know it is. Right? Okay. <laughs> what is a point? Like a period. Two numbers in the, in the graph. Uh, X and Y on a graph. Define point. What is a point? It's something... Uh, a point is something you win. That sounds good. What's a point? A point is if you win. If you win what? A race. What's a point? Um, the way I look at it is a starting area that you're looking at moving to another area. An opinion or objective from someone. 
So I'm going to I'm going to set us up for something. Uh, Anthony, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. I'm going to say a sentence because mm-hmm. I know you have a great story about it and you're mm-hmm. going to know instantly what it is when I say it. Okay. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Ah, yes. This comes from, uh, this is in the elements, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So there's a uh, Proclus, who was a, a Neoplatonist philosopher who uh, commented on the, uh, the elements. Uh, has, One of the many. Yes. Has something interesting to say Only about that. Only the cool that. people did that. Only the very cool people <laughs> did that. Yeah. So according to Proclus, the uh-huh. Epicureans. Who are they? Right, the, so the Epicureans were, uh, it was a, a school of, uh, of ethics in, uh, in, in, uh, in ancient Greek philosophy who thought that the key to happiness mm-hmm. was making yourself uh, free from pain and worry. Ataraxia, they called it. Quick yeah. question before yeah. you, you tell us the, the funny story. but. So when they say free from pain and worry, did that mean that they didn't want you to think for thinking's sake because you would worry and possibly be in pain? So uh, interestingly enough, yes. Seriously? So, so they were they were outliers. Oh my gosh. They were outliers. I learned something new today. I, I, I don't think they thought that um this that that philosophical knowledge was valuable for its own sake. It was valuable for the sake of ataraxia, for the sake of <laughs> happiness and bringing, getting yourself to be like free from pain and okay, worry. Okay, so they I were think, on board yeah. with it for some people. If that was like, if that was like your higa that you wanted to do or whatever, your yeah. self care. Yeah, I guess so. But they would still, they would still make the case that like uh, you're still doing it for for ataraxia. But yeah, no, that's right. They're they're okay. they're, they're an interesting group. They're a very very interesting group, right? So they. Um, they didn't think that they're like this idea that uh, the, the theorem that shows that the shortest distance between two points is a straight mm-hmm. line. They like kind of ridiculed it. And according to Proclus, so according to Proclus, the Epicureans are wont to ridicule this theorem. They say it is evident <laughs> even to an ass and needs no proof. They make this out from the observation that if hay is placed at one extremity of the sides, an ass in quest of provender will make his way <laughs> along the one side and not by way of the two others. <laughs> and you know, so like yeah. I read this thing in a book and the author of the book follows up by saying, the Epicureans of today might well add that one could see the proof on every campus where people completely ignorant of math traverse the lawn in the matter of the ass. Of course, right? Because if you're on the lawn and you need to get to that building, you're you, just going to go straight there. You're not going to go in the roundabout yeah. way. I mean, it's not going to be like, which way is faster, the straight way or the roundabout way? Like, that's going to be obvious, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so that happens a lot in in math right you take things that intuitively do seem obvious Mm -hmm. but you have these interesting proofs that show that they're true all the time that prove that they're obvious right right? yeah this is the cool part right that was the same thing that we just talked about with Fermat and why it's so important and you know actually one uh, one of another thing that i read in one of the books was that it said mathematical truth is not dependent on motivation and teaching a class though is another thing because students have a right to understand how particular steps are directed to a specific goal. Mathematical truth is not mm-hmm. dependent on motivation. That's interesting. Yeah. Do you think back to what we just said in the first episode with Euclid and like, here, take your three pence and all the things we've been talking about, even right. with the Epicureans just now. Right. So the idea is like, um, doesn't matter if you care about these things. They're true no matter mm-hmm. what. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, the, t- I guess... 
But 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 in that quote you said, right? The student still has a right to understand how the steps are directed to the goal, right? right. So so you don't want to tell a student. It's not dependent on motivation. So just like just just learn it, just know it, <laughs> right? Why don't you know it? Right? You know. <laughs> Do your fifteen years of geometry right. and then come back. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. <laughs> So I know we got kind of off track, but I like I guess we should pull back to Euclid. Yeah, we should talk about axioms. Yeah, yeah. axioms. <laughs> and you know, we talked about how they cannot be derived from anything else. The building blocks. Right. And they depend on definitions. Right. So like you have mm -hmm. to have def you have to have certain definitions in play before you can understand these things. Because they're kinda like when we if we'll we'll take a look at an example. They're kinda they're true by definition in a way. So so take this example of one of the axioms. Things equal to the same thing are equal to each other. So, okay, a flamingo is a bird and a phoenix is a bird, so a flamingo is a phoenix. Wait, what? What did you just do? Oh. Change my mind. Oh, man. So, oh, wow. <laughs> wow. You're trying to give me a counterexample to uh, So, I think um, uh, there's like an equivocation going on with the meaning of is here when you what say is a flamingo is? is a bird, a phoenix is a bird, so a flamingo is a phoenix, right? Because like these are types of birds, right? Versus, uh, right? A flamingo. I don't know. You just blew my mind, Natalie. <laughs> 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 yeah. Just sprinkling the little salt in there. Yeah. No, but uh, I mean, there's the uh, if you know what equal means, right? Uh, like if equal means identical, uh huh, right? Because like when we say a flamingo is a bird, we don't mean that flamingo is identical to bird. Because right? what we, is bird? Right. Well, there, well, actually, like so that's not the is of definition there. When we say a flamingo is a bird, right? It's a, uh, it's like a different usage of the word is. But in any case, right? If we if you know what the word equal means. Mm -hmm. Then you can see that this is true, that things equal to the same thing are equal to each other. Things that are identical to the same thing have to be identical to each other, mm -hmm. right? This is supposed to be kind of intuitive. This, is actually, this actually comes up in a, in a well-known movie. Yeah. Oh, which one? It's a Steven Spielberg movie. Woo! Jaws. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. Lincoln. Oh my gosh, where Kylo Ren was his secretary. Kylo Ren was, uh, let's see, the set, yeah, he was something. Like he, he played, there's this one scene where he appears with a, a colleague of his uh -huh. and Lincoln is talking to them. Yeah, and yeah. he was like, what did you do in, before, you, before the war? And they were engineers, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, he, and Lincoln says, well, if you were engineers, you must have read Euclid. And they were like, nah, dude, maybe a long time ago in school, but like, okay, who, boomer. who, right? Basically, right? Yeah. yeah, Lincoln, a learned man, obviously very smart. And he says, yeah, he actually read a ton of Euclid yeah, and studied totally. him. Well, yeah. And so he brings up, he brings that up in this, in this scene. And he says, he says, things equal to the same thing are equal to each other. And he's using this as like, this, like as a moral principle mm -hmm. to talk about why slavery was wrong and how uh, we begin with equality and how human beings are fundamentally equal. Right. Man. So, right, so Euclid showed why slavery was wrong. Ultimately. First of all, yeah. you math has ethical implications. Every single episode, you've classed up the joint, whether <laughs> you want to believe it or not. Yeah. Look at that. I'm over here. Kylo Ren was his secretary. And you were like, he's used math to, you know, which again is funny because as we talked about Plato and, uh, and Aristotle in the beginning, our philosopher kings were mm. defending slavery. And here he's refuting. Isn't that interesting? Yes. Isn't that oh interesting? My gosh. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how, um, you know, when you look back on really, really smart people from old times, mm -hmm. right? 
how they accepted certain principles but didn't see the implications of them right. so often. Yeah. It's, it's man, it's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. So to close out our Euclid trilogy, I'ma talk about some more geometry. All right. Well, hey, in, in keeping with the spirit of the trilogy. Yes. <laughs> so we talked about the board game rules and playing different games. Yeah. And Can we play Monopoly? I haven't played that in a while. Man, the Harry <laughs> Potter version, right? <laughs> uh, but there are geometries that actually don't follow Euclid's rules. So what, what, what is that all about? Well, first of all, guess what they're called? Tell me. Non-Euclidean. So, so Euclid is such a big deal that like there's either Euclid or, or not, just not Euclid, right? Non-Euclidean. Yeah. Right, now, there right. are different types of non-Euclidean geometry, but yeah, the big, the big two, the big two, right? And so, visually speaking, let's think about something that's called hyperbolic geometry. Hyperbolic? Ge hyperbolic. Is that like geometry that exaggerates a lot or something? Yeah, kind <laughs> of, yeah. But so, so, visually speaking, think of a Pringle chip. Uh-huh. Okay. A, pr a Pringle chip, Sounds right? Good. You got that kind of shape in your head? Got it. Can't pop just one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so imagine if you were to draw a triangle on it with some mustard or like your favorite topping du jour. You'd have to be careful because those things are fragile. Right. Yeah. yeah. So imagine that you very gently place, and, and I love that you just said it's fragile because I have another story for you in a second here, but uh, you mm -hmm. draw a, a triangle on it. Mm-hmm. And think about what that triangle might look like, right? Okay. So if you think about Euclidean geometry, each, uh, all the sums of the, each angle in the triangle will sum to 180 degrees. We know this, right. you know, and if you don't, you can Google it, you know, or, or just take my word for it. Anyway, if you were to draw that triangle on the Pringle chip, the angles sum to less than 180. Really? Yeah. Because think about how the little points are smaller, so it wouldn't be. That's cool, man. Here's another cool yeah. one. There's something called spherical geometry. And so think about if you've got the world and you draw a triangle on the surface of the earth. Wait, you, so you just draw a triangle anywhere on the ground, you mean? No, no, no. I mean, like, if you're in space, you're like, oh, you're a big dude that's like in I space. See. I see. Okay. And you then yeah. take your pencil or So whatever. like if you're God, basically. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, but see, my dog does not like that. Look, he's already, he's like, no, I do not like spherical geometry. <laughs> Here he is. Uh, but so those angles sum to greater than 180 degrees because you think about it's kind of fat. On Prove it. I can't. Uh, like not, not, not in this time frame. That'd be okay. so intense. <laughs> ah, that's cool. Yeah, I want to... That would be cool to go to space and draw a triangle right? on the Right, just Earth. be like, boop, boop, boop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, or how about this, how about this, a globe. Yeah, I guess that, that like, would be a good you know, if, approximation. If you're yeah. one of those classy gents that has a globe bar that you can open and put whiskey or whatever your <laughs> drink uh, right. is, right? You yeah. can close it and draw a triangle on it. But I want to get back, you know, you talked about the, the Pringle being very fragile and, and the hyperbolic. And, you know, obviously I'm loosening this up, but uh -huh. uh, I want to talk a little bit more about hyperbolic geometry. And there's a woman named Diana Taimina, and I'm so sorry if I've mispronounced that. But she actually, when, when I looked to see, I, I googled her to see if I could see what she was doing these days. And it says that she teaches at Cornell still. Uh -huh. So I'm not sure because it also said she was retired, but so I'm not sure it's unclear. But anyway, <clears throat> she actually in the 1970s there was a geometer named William Thurston who actually then became her colleague and he strung together horseshoe-shaped pieces of paper 
to demonstrate what these hyperbolic geometric shapes oh, would look like. So they did like a 3D illustration of it. Right, or exactly. Yeah. So that people could kind of start imagining it. Because here's the thing computers at that time in the 1970s, um, you know, whatever they had, and they didn't even have in, MacBooks. <laughs> but even moving into the next decade, like they could only create images based on formulas, which didn't really work with that hyperbolic geometry. So here, this this gentleman who actually won the Fields Medal in eighty one, but here he strung together these these um, horseshoe shaped pieces of paper to kind of describe this field, so people could actually tactily, mm. you know, doodle around with it. And so she was teaching at the time and she was like, what a great idea. My students can see how this is. And um, this is going to be amazing because like any good instructor, right? You want to go into your class and have your students like really engage with the material. Totally, yeah. So she used this model with her students, but it was so fragile, like the Pringle chip, that she always had to make as new fragile ones. as the Pringle chip or perhaps oh. more fragile because she always had to make these new models. Oh, I mean, what? can you imagine like say you have three classes back to back? That that's intense, man. Right? Yeah. I feel like this goes back to what we were talking about with how philosophers and mathematicians, intellectuals generally, with knowledge for their own sake, mm -hmm. for its own sake, look how much you you, you got to care about this stuff a lot. Yes. To do that, you know what? You're you so know? right. Yeah. And I'll tell you. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna level up this thing. So she saw that this was so intense to make this over and over again that she mm -hmm. was like, "Is there a more robust?" method that i can use and so she thought well i'll try knitting maybe i can make something that way but that was intense because she'd have to undo the whole row if she made any mistakes yeah. and it's kind of a weird shape yeah so then she said well let me try crochet 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 i've been trying to crochet forever i've been trying to crochet a little baby yoda and i cannot <laughs> like it is so hard oh, and man. that's just crochet in the round so you know her hyperbolic geometry trying to crochet she made it work and so, okay, How? so <laughs> magic, no mathematics, but, uh, but here's the thing. So she was so excited that she created something that a computer couldn't, that she ran out to her husband and she was like, oh boy, husband, like, look at this thing <laughs> I did. And so he was also a geometer. So he was totally on the same page. Like I try and like, I, if I try to run outside and be like, look at this math thing, my husband like would be, would be happy for me, but he wouldn't be. He'd be like, that's really great. I understand that you are happy, <laughs> happy for you. The math must be intense in that relationship. Right? But, <laughs> but so, so, you know, it's funny because as I went through college, so many people in math degrees, they ended up married to each other now. Interesting. And so I think it's really, <laughs> that's, that's another story though. But anyway, I digress. Because I want to talk about Are this all those equations still working? <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. But this woman, she started to make all kinds of things with the, the, um, the crochet. And one of the things that she did, she made what's called the hyperbolic crochet coral reef. And damn, if it isn't... Coral reef? Coral reef. It, it? If it isn't the coolest thing. I'll put oh. a link on the website so that folks can check it out. But, you know, if, if they haven't seen it or heard of it, but... What's really cool, okay, so I'm, my husband and I love diving, it's, and I can nerd out about this, but so what it is, if you think about a hyperbolic surface, it maximizes area, surface area, while minimizing the volume. So huh. if you think about what a coral looks like, they want- I'm trying the, to picture it in my head. The yeah. largest surface area, right? Yeah. But they don't want to be super thick and big because then that's going to be hard for them 
to like they have to absorb a lot of food. It sounds and like th- they want to have their cake and eat it too. <laughs> <laughs> but so if you think about it, that's exactly what um, a hyperbolic surface is. And it's so cool that she made this whole coral reef about it. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's intense, man. Right. Yeah. And, and here's another cool thing. Like as I was reading about this, the, the Thurston, William Thurston, who made this model out of paper. That was what he knew to do. But she came in the scene and crochet and knitting, these are typically what was known, what are known as, as women's arts, as it were. Right. Yeah, this is 19, this is right. 40 and, years ago. Yeah, yeah. But here's the thing. If she hadn't taken an interest in it and if she hadn't started to think about it and you bring her knowledge to the table too, we wouldn't have had not only the great hyperbolic crochet thing, but also just like, look what she Mm. made for her students. And it's really interesting to me because I believe so strongly that math should be accessible for all Uh and that there is a seat at the table for everyone. And this story, I wanted to close on this story because if, if she didn't come to the table, we wouldn't have had this. And it was her love for the subject that made her come to the table. Exactly. And, and I think, you know, if we can, if more people can get interested in whatever it is, you know, even yeah. if it's not math, because fine, I get it. But even if it's not math, whatever you're passionate <laughs> or philosophy. about. Yeah, yeah. Or philosophy. Yeah. You know, there, there's so much greatness to be found yeah. everywhere. Totally. Yeah. It's that kind of like intrinsic motivation that mm-hmm. makes the world go around, you know? Well, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Thank you and for having me. This was so much fun. I'm so excited. Baby, I hope I did class up the joint. You did. And you maybe, know. like, if we cover Descartes, you know, you can come back and class, us, class up the joint again. Oh, I think, therefore, I may. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'll, I'll commit enough. I'll commit yeah. star. <laughs> but anyway, thank you again so much for you spending time so with us. so welcome. Hooray! Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Infinitely Irrational. For more fun, the research and math behind this episode, visit us on the web at www.infinitelyirrational.com. This episode was edited by Mathematical Expressions. This episode was written and narrated by Mathematical Expressions and Kay. Research for this episode was compiled by Kay. See you next time!